great movie. It, it was on last night. I don't know if anybody got to see it, but it was actually on last night. When I was watching, I was like, hey, that's, that's our, that's our series next week. Um, before we get started, I need to do something real quick. Put me in it. Uh, you want to make it a selfie or an essie? Well. Let's make it an essie. An essie. All right, here we go. Well, that's not, that's wrong. Until <laughs> <laughs> I do a this a lot. Okay. okay. We open our mouth. Why do we always open our mouth? And uh, mine's always open. <laughs> it just happens. Um, the selfie. We're a selfie world, aren't yeah. we? I mean, we live in a world where everybody takes a selfie. You can be, you know, driving down the road or you see somebody walking down the street and all of a sudden, you know, you get that right there, right? You know, and they get that, they got to throw the hair or whatever, kind of turn it sideways, make it look right. So we're a selfie world. And, and I want to go ahead before we get started this morning, I want to clarify something. In no way are we making fun of selfies. No, we're I... not making fun of selfies. We're not making fun of the filters that we use or the different types of social media. We're not making fun of anything because we all do it. We do it as well. I mean, we, I've got every social media known to man. So we're not making fun of any of that. So I want to make that clear, but we are a selfie culture. Um, perfect example. There's a picture. It, I will be, be the first to say it's an awesome picture, uh, but there's a picture. We're going to put it on the screen and uh, right there. Oh, I mean, nice. right? Yes. Right? I mean, what yeah. a great looking family. So sweet. Just a nice looking husband, uh, yes. beautiful wife, two oh. cute little, I mean, beautiful, right? Beautiful. Okay, put the other one up there. It's not quite as good. Half of it's uh, great. Half of it's good. The one, like, wait. Well, that's not quite half. That's right like here. a third of it over there yeah. is really, Yeah, you're really covering good. most of that. You're right in the center of that picture. I've got a you got a fat head. head. That's what you've got. So, but we're a selfie world. And not only are we a selfie world, we've actually taken it to the next level. Now, not only are we a selfie world, we're a selfie photobomb. Oh, world. Yeah. And, and yeah. so we've got a few pictures of, of some examples, um, kind of the dad style of the photobomb. So let's go ahead and throw that one up yes. there. I like that. When you see dad right here, he's, he's, uh, he's just <laughs> popped in all of a sudden. She now, has no idea. She has no clue. I like the fact that she's about to eat, I think these are maybe goldfish crackers? Is that what goldfish? I think they're cheese puffs. He says cheese puffs, so I say goldfish. We've had kids since you have, so I say goldfish crackers. That's true. Um, this... What, you, what is this? That is actually a rabbit. I read the caption is that on his, the picture. Is that his hiney? She's actually what, waiting what on the rabbit to eat those things. Maybe While she's waiting, Dad pops in. He probably so maybe it's actually ate them. I don't know. But anyway, okay. so there's an example. Let's go ahead and go to the next one. I love this one, personally, because I have that exact same sweater. <laughs> That's that, no lie. <laughs> I have that same sweater, same style, everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like how, you know, again, mouth open. Yeah. Got yeah. His mouth is even open. Is it? I think he's mimicking her. You, but you that's have a, to. That's the best photo bomb ever. Mm -hmm. You have to have your mouth open. Did you yourself. get your sweater back? I'm wearing it right now. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, so go to the next picture. Okay. This one I love. Now, the funny thing is Harley has no clue the irony of what he's done here. And not at all. <laughs> of, of the billions yeah. of selfie This pictures. is the one you pulled out. This so if you're an out. Arkansas Razorback fan, you know we're in the process of trying to hire a football coach, and it's not going that good. Um, and ironically, we have a football coach right here. That's Gene Chizik. That is, he's the, used to be the head coach for Auburn University. So I just thought that was ironic. Harley had no clue. No when clue. I said that at 930, he's like, what? He just looks like a tough dad. <laughs> he's probably a tough Photo dad. Photo bombing but anyway, daughter's so, prom. So there's, sure. so there's that one. And then um, let's, let's do the next one. I love this one. Because with Rachel, our, our youngest, I actually took this picture. I had the belly and everything, and yeah. I still do, unfortunately. <laughs> but um, I think that's 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 a thing. But um, that's awesome. That, you that's the a sweater? good one. 
I was, well, you couldn't see the sweater, but it was there. It was, I always keep the sweater on. Um, the sweater's my chest hair, in case we're not with it. Um, it's, <laughs> I'm going to let you have the it's next one. It's a shag rug. I mean, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the yes. Weird thoughts going so through everybody. So you took mind. this one. I'm going to let you have this one because okay. I think this one fits you better. Oh, man, that is so unfair. <laughs> Just because I don't know who that football coach was, no. you're going to put me It's here. artistic. Yeah, it is. It was, uh, we'll go with that. It's artistic. an artistic one. That's an artistic Nice, photo. nice. Good. That, that's one of the best photo bombs I've ever seen. It's great, it's right? Good. It's great. <laughs> okay, so all this whole thing about selfies, and um, the, I like to refer to them with groups of people called ussies, that's never caught on. Um, <laughs> these whole selfie thing. Last year, a psychologist did a study. I, I want to roll through this pretty quick because it's kind of boring. She did a, or a group of psychologists did a study, and they actually coined a term, and they called it um, kind of, uh, it's not, uh, they just gave it a name. And here it is. I'm going to give it to you. They called it self-itis. Now, this was a legitimate psychological study that they did. And they said that people have... Uh, can have self-itis, and they range from borderline. Notice they didn't have anyone who ranged from, no, I do, I'm not affected by self-itis at all. It started with borderline, and then it, it advanced to acute and then chronic. And I'm like, seriously? That they, they seriously did that study and gave it those terms and that progression. And what they're seeing in this study was a connection between narcissism and social media. Let me give you a quote from one psychologist. She said this. She said, it may be difficult to say concretely that narcissism among millennials is directly linked to social media. She said, but it does seem that social media encourages and panders to pre-existing narcissism. You know, in the United States, that is an official behavioral diagnosis. It's called the Narcissistic Personality Disorder, NPD for short. And the number of people being diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder has increased dramatically, sharply over the past 10 years. And I find this interesting, Cole. Because it has increased at the same rate that obesity has increased. And I just find that interesting. I am definitely... So which one of these two are you struggling <laughs> no, with? I am definitely one of those two. I'll let you guess which I'm one. I'm working on it. I'm yeah, it. I'll let you guess. So um, here are some characteristics of this thing called narcissistic personality disorder. Let me give you three of them. One is a characteristic, someone who has that, has a deep need for admiration. They just need to be admired. The se one of the se second characteristic is they have an inflated sense of their own importance. And here's a third characteristic. It's a lack of empathy for others. And I know some of you are maybe thinking right now, oh my word, I have three of those. What am I doing? Do I have narcissistic personality disorder? We're not saying that. There are many, many more characteristics. Those are just three. But I, I will tell you this, though, just in the United States in general, you know, next month we get the State of the Union address, uh, whomever is president and any given year, every year in January, gives the State of the Union address, and that's coming up in January. But 
Let me just give you a hint on the state right now of the United States, which also includes me because I'm in the United States as well. Let me give you two words that kind of sum up our culture, it seems. Two words, vain conceit. So that seems to kind of be the daily fuel for uh, us today is the pursuit of me, the pursuit of I. Everyone seems chasing, uh, everyone seems to be chasing after their own me. And we have really become in the United States a me first country or a me first culture. So just even that word vain conceit, it really kind of sounds gross. You know, it, just, it has a bad, um, uh, it doesn't hit the ear quite right. Vain conceit. And if you hear the definition of vain conceit, it sounds even what would be more worse? Worse, worser. Worsest. <laughs> the worsest, worsest ever. The, the grammar police out there, you can correct me later. But um, so the definition of vain or of vanity is having or showing an excessively high opinion of one's appearance, abilities, or worth. Showing an excessively high opinion of your abilities, your, uh, your appearance, or your worth. Sounds like today. Uh, the definition of conceit is excessive pride in oneself, excessive appreciation of one's own worth or virtue. So, vain, having a high opinion of oneself, of your abilities, your appearance, or your worth, and conceit, excessive pride in oneself, excessive appreciation of your own self-worth. Sounds very similar to the United States in 2019, and, and, and it plays out. Typically, it plays out in this way. It begins in our head. It begins as our, in our thinking. Uh, it begins as we're thinking, really, of ourselves most of the time and in most situations, working hard, working hard to make me first. And what typically happens is it's become an American pursuit as we're pursuing after I, pursuing after me and it's driving really a me first epidemic in this culture. Um, I, I really I believe that it comes from a statement of I'm a little bit special. I deserve a little bit special consideration because I'm the exception. I'm I'm just a little bit special. And when we look at that line of thinking and that line of reasoning, what we discover is really that is flawed thinking. The thought that I deserve special consideration simply by being me, that's flawed. But that's closely related to that same line of thinking that would say, if I don't choose to take care of myself, then you have to take care of me. I deserve that simply for being me. And there's another word that kind of describes that whole realm of thinking. It's a hot word today, and that word is entitlement. And entitlement says, I deserve special consideration simply because I'm me. I'm special. I, am, uh, I, I, I deserve it. This is me first. Now, are we special in God's eyes? Absolutely. No question about it. We can shut it down right now, pass the giving buckets, hit the road, see you next week. We're special in God's eyes. There's no, we're not arguing that we are special in God's eyes. 
We are, no question about it. But does my uniqueness and my specialness in the eyes of God entitle me to have treatment that places me above others or treatment um, that makes me special at the expense of others? And, And the answer to that would be no. But it's an epidemic that we see today, but Harley, it's actually not an epidemic that's at all new. No, this is not a new problem. Uh, Paul actually writes about this problem in the very first century. He's writing to a church, and he has some of these same concerns here. And here's what he says. McKinley's going to have it on the screen. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul simply says this, don't be selfish. (laughs) He's saying, do not fall into the trap of vain conceit. He's saying, do not be all about yourself. Don't be a me first people. And he goes on and he says, don't try to impress others. In fact, the scripture's on the screen. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Don't try to make people agree with you that you deserve to go first or you are somehow better. Don't try to make a filter uh, for your life that makes you look better or makes you look perfect or more attractive or maybe more impressive. Now, when I was going through this, when I was going through this series earlier in the week and I realized that Harley had given me this part, I was like, oh, gosh, <laughs> you're going to tell me to talk about filters. Because and, and, filters are a big deal right now, right? When you take a selfie, you don't just take a selfie. You don't just take a picture. You put a filter on it, right? And what's the purpose of that filter? To make it look better. Now, we are not knocking the no. use of filters. We're not doing anything like that. If you want to take a picture and put a filter on it, go for it. I, I do it too. Harley does it more. Uh, <laughs> I don't take I don't really take pictures. But um, the, the uses of filters today is for the purpose of making it look better, making it look prettier, making it look more attractive. Uh, you can take... You know, we used Texas earlier uh, in, mm-hmm. in 930. I think we should use something further away. Okay. There may be people from Texas here. Let's go. So let's like go Montana. Oh, excellent. Go Montana. Low population. Low population, low chances of Montana. Anything. So you take a person from Montana who is, shall we say, ugly, right? And they take, <laughs> the, a, they take a selfie. I mean, there are a lot of ugly people in Montana. Right. I'm, We've never been no, there, I'm but sure. we're just assuming at this point. So you take a picture of an ugly person in Montana. You get the right filter. Yeah. Make it okay. Yeah. Gotta make it. Yeah. Could make them beautiful. I don't know about that. I, I've seen I don't it go happen. That far. I don't want to go that big of a jump. I have seen In it fact, happen. we we joke about it. We say, you know, if you ever, some of us, if we ever go missing and we have to use our Facebook profile picture to figure out where we're at and to identify us, forget it. They'll never find. Never you. find you. <laughs> Me too. You know, because I've I've learned one of the things I've learned, and actually I learned this, believe it or not. Blast from the past. I learned this from Billy Elmore, who was a football coach in Stuttgart. He's at West Memphis now. He taught me this. He said, if you take a picture, if you take a selfie, and you put your neck out just far enough, it takes away the double chin. Oh, all my pictures now, I'm going to be like... <laughs> it looks funny, but you, you don't have like the double chin. You look like a turtle, but there's no double <laughs> you know, chin. But we, we, have, we take this filter to make ourselves look better, to make ourselves... A football coach taught you yeah, that? Yeah. That's so weird. Yeah. Look at his... Go, go, to his, go to his Twitter and look up... He's gonna, that is... <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, we make ourselves look better. So we, we thought it'd be fun to kind of give some examples of how some filters can make you look very, very different from what you actually look. So there's going to be on the screen. Here's the first one. Yeah, who's that? Who's that guy? He looks like he ought to be in like a bohemian or something. Yeah, that's you know? me. That's Harley. 
Look at that so, improvement. <laughs> Thank you. Thank Somebody you. appreciates that. Thank, Thank you, you very much. So here's the next one. That's horrible. Santa, Santa Cole. Santa Cole. <laughs> I like the lights up there at the top. Yeah, I love excellent. this laser pointer. This is awesome. Uh, go to the next one. There's Harley. Thank I think. you very much. Look, uh, you know, I am a great dancer. You are that, and, and <laughs> you're filled out pretty good, too. <laughs> so, so go, go to the next one. There That's not go. bad. I think I look distinguished in that, that yes. filter. Yes. Yeah, I think that makes me look pretty distinguished. I like the mustache especially. All right, go to the next one. <laughs> it's an improvement. It is. I would say. I, mean, I think is. that's definitely improvement. This was um, before I went to Dr. Benton, the dentist. Yeah, Pre-dentist. Uh, go to the next one. I don't understand why <laughs> I got this, like the you know, Santa Claus rabbit mm -hmm. uh, Easter bunny. I don't, why, did, why did you give me that? It's so happy. Yeah. And look what it did to your eyes. They sparkle. I, sh I should have been doing the neck thing on that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, the beard kind of helps you out. That's the reason I have a beard. There you go. It makes you look less fat. So anyway, go ahead. Okay, go ahead. okay, okay. Right, one more. I think we got one more, don't we? No, I, I, is that it? we only have one more in our notes. That's right, that's right. It's I'm me sorry. as a pig, and we thought, well, this just What's works. The point? Just uh, look here. Just look live action. Um, yeah. But we do these things um, for the purpose of impressing others. We're, that's what really, and again, we're not knocking filters because we all use them. You can take a uh, take a picture of a in the woods or you know of a creek and the water running over, and you take a picture and it looks pretty, but you put a filter on it, it looks better. Um, and it's for the purpose of impressing people. That, that's really what it comes down to. We're trying to kind of camouflage the way people see our lives. And what Paul is saying here uh, is, is stop, stop, you know, stop trying to manage the way other people. Um, look at you. Stop trying to control the way other people think about you. It's really this, this human illness and, and Paul's saying here, don't worry about the way people, what they see, think about what they think about the way we are. And it's this, again, this word that Harley used yeah. earlier, self-itis. So last week we said this, we said the more we feed our self-centeredness, the more it grows. Because we said it was an appetite. Self-centeredness is an appetite that is never really fully satisfied. It starts out, as that study revealed, as borderline self-itis. You know, it starts the day we are born, and we are born as borderline sufferers of self-itis. That's kind of how it works. And then we learn as children, as infants really, very quickly, we learned that if I do certain things, we can get what we want. And so it grows from there. From borderline, we go to acute self-itis, so we go on to chronic self-itis. But there is a cure for this thing they call self-itis, and the cure does not come naturally to us. Paul gives us the cure in the very next part of the verse. And here it is. He says, don't be selfish. He says, don't try to impress others. Here's the cure. He says, be humble. Okay, we say, okay, humble. Humble schmumble. You know, that's kind of a, a nebulous word. There's not a, a lot of real meaning for us with that because humble is kind of a common word. We use it a lot, but it's not really clear about what it means to live humbly. There's no real strength in the word humble. So how do we actually live that out? Yes, we do know that it is better to be humble. We know that. Yes, we do know that Jesus was very humble. And we also know that we, we should be humble. But really the question, Cole, comes down to this. 
how? And what did Paul really mean when he wrote this in the year 50 AD, uh, when he was, who he was writing it to? When Paul wrote this, what was he talking about? How did it affect them? And what we're going to discover, discover is it actually affects us the exact same way what Paul is talking about. 2,000 years down the road in 2019, Paul's statement means the same thing for us that it meant for the audience that he was specifically writing to at that time. Um, and Paul doesn't leave them hanging. Like Harley said, the word humble, we use it all the time, but what does it really mean? How, it, it, you know, how does it affect us? Paul doesn't just stay with, be humble. He actually is going to give them an immediate action step following that statement. So it's going to be back on the screen again. Paul says, um, don't be selfish, don't try to impress others. Be humble, and then he says, this is what that means. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Yeah, that's, that's wow. a tough one. That's the big one right there. Because we push back to that phrase. Whoa, wait a minute now, Cole. You're saying treat them as better. They are not better than me. And that's not what Paul is saying. That's not what Cole is alluding to. Paul is saying proper humility leads you to treat others as if they are more important. He doesn't say they are more important. He says treat them as if they are. And we push back, though, even with that, because we either think that, yeah, really, that person is more important than me, and it makes me then feel horrible to be around them or to be thinking of them, so we push back because we think they're more important, or perhaps we push back because we actually think that we are more important than them, and, and we don't want to kind of step down below them. Now, truth, truth is this, they are not more important than you. They are not more important than me. That's, that's a truth. Another truth is you are not more important than them. But the overall truth that we're trying to get to this morning is that following the way, following Jesus, following the way that Jesus man, uh, demands uh, that we live humbly, it demands that not a request. Jesus is saying, look, this is the way you are to live if you're a follower of me, because Jesus himself was humble. It demands that we choose the attitude of thinking of others as better than ourselves. Maybe they're not better than we are, but we can treat them as if they are better than us. And as we change the way that we think, then that's going to change our behavior. That's going to change the way we act. It begins with the thought. It begins with thinking that way, and then it turns into an actual action step where we actually do those things. If you're a student in here, then it, maybe it applies to the way that you um, think and then treat your parents or possibly your teachers. If you're an adult, maybe this applies to the way that you treat your boss or your supervisor or maybe a coworker, um, an irritating family member, possibly that mean neighbor that doesn't like the fact that you have a rooster in your backyard that crows every morning at 5 o'clock. That would be me, and yes, I have that mean neighbor that does not like it. So if anybody wants a rooster, see me after church. You can have it. Uh, but how does that affect the way we, we treat those people? Because as it is a change of mind and a change of thinking, 
then it's going to lead to a change in behavior, whether it be supervisor toward employee or husband toward wife, wife toward husband, maybe parents toward children, uh, leaders toward followers, or teachers toward students. Yeah, and so let me give you a little picture, a little snapshot of what that might look like. We, you know, in Stuttgart, we have the wonderful privilege of the 60 days of duck season. When that is in, all kinds of folks from really all over the country, sometimes all over the world even, come here to be a part of duck season premiere. And so sometimes there's famous country music singers, stars, politicians will be in, um, just sometimes just the rich and famous. And you get sometimes to run into those people, right? And you get to see them at, at a restaurant or see them out and about and the buzz and the excitement. And this one thing happens when you notice when you're in the presence and you see them walk into a restaurant, it's called the awe factor. You just kind of light up when you're in their presence. And then we begin looking for ways that we can kind of do things for them, that we can make their lives easier, better, show them how special they are. So when Harley called me, I think Monday is when he hollered at me, said, hey, have you ever met anybody famous? I'm like, no, I haven't. <laughs> I mean, not really. I, not that I would consider famous. I mean, when I was in the third grade, I got to meet then governor, then, you know, running for president Clinton. I got to meet him, shake his hand. Uh, you know, I got to do that. So I was thinking, man, who, who have I met famous? I, I really don't know. A couple of years ago, I was working at a duck club north of Humno. Just kind of part-time helping out, trying to get a little bit, you know, make a little money. And uh, in that duck club, the, the Duck Club was owned by a corporation in, out of Houston, Texas, and they would have a lot of interesting people come through there. They'd have average people just like me and Harley and you guys, and, and, and they would have uh, famous people and whatever. And again, that fame is different from, for everybody. But in the Duck Club, we would, uh, a couple people I got to meet, Johnny Manziel came through. Uh, uh, Philip Fulmer, again, it's always about sports for me. I, I don't know why it always has to be about sports. But Philip, Philip Fulmer came through, former head coach of University of Tennessee. Now he's their athletic director. Um, a lot of just really well-known people uh, came through this duck club. And it was always interesting to me, and, and I was right in the big middle of it. I was doing it as well. But when kind of the average middle management person in that corporation would come, they would be treated very well. But when somebody that should have had high, a higher value you or should have, you know, it's kind of famous or that all factor, that person would be treated a little bit better, a little bit different. And I was right in the big middle of it. I would do it as well. If you guys remember when the movie Mud was being filmed in this area and Matthew McConaughey and Reese Witherspoon were, were in the area and, and you would hear stories, hey, I, got, I, met, I met, met Matthew McConaughey, he's pretty cool, you know, and he, they were treated different. It just it's just the way it was, and um, you know everybody was was buzzing about that event taking place. And if they would have, you know, Matthew McConaughey would have walked into your place of work, you know, like all right, all right, all right, <laughs> you know, if they'd have walked into your place of work, <coughs> there would have been a buzz. Yeah, no you doubt. would have treated him a little bit different. Yeah, and that's what Paul is saying. He's saying treat everyone that way. It's the awe factor. Colt, um, I just have to tell you. Did I mess something up? No, no, you did great. <laughs> okay, good. I am so bad at this. Even when a celebrity was in my pre when I was in the presence of a celebrity, um, I, I didn't wasn't able to do it. And I just have to very quickly tell you this story. 
I'm in. Y'all, 11 o'clock's getting something. Yeah, like 930, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in Starbucks. I fought it off at 11. I can't fight it off anymore. I'm in Starbucks in Shreveport. And, you know, when the flood in New Orleans happened, all the movie production came up to Shreveport. And so we were just inundated with stars. And so I'm looking at the drive-thru, and Samuel Jackson goes through the drive-thru. And so and we start talking, and we start laughing. He's a, he's a wonderful man, I'm sure. But I could not get over some of the stinker movies that he put out, like Snakes on a Plane. I'm like, hey, that's a cool classic. I man. was like, oh my word, what was going on? And so we're talking at the table, and I and I'm like, snakes on the plane. I'm like, what is up with that? I mean, I just if I could ask Samuel Jackson one thing, I'm telling all the guys at the table, I would ask, why in the world everybody's eyes now are looking over my shoulder and up? Why in the world would you do snakes on the plane? And they're all looking this way, and I'm like. He's behind me, isn't he? <laughs> I don't think you've ever told me that. Yeah, he was. He had come in. His order was wrong. <laughs> he was... I'm really bad at the all factor, obviously. Yeah. You don't even so. do it for the stars. <laughs> <laughs> so now you may be beginning to think, okay, okay, okay. I, I get what you're talking about. I, I, I'm beginning to see. So what you're saying, maybe you're thinking this. There are some people in my life that I can do that with, have the awe factor when I see them, when I'm in their presence, and I can light up. No, that's not what Paul is saying. Not some people. He's saying all people. And now you might be thinking, whoa, Harley. No, 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 no. no. Yes, there are good people. Yes. Kind people. Oh, I can do that. Yes. But he is saying all people. And if you want proof that it's all, Cole's going to tell you what Jesus said. So Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they give us a firsthand primary source look at the life of Christ in their Gospels. And Matthew here, we're going to read from the, from the Scriptures in, in the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 41. Matthew um, is basically telling us what Jesus said about this, this topic. And it's going to be on the screen. Uh, and this is Jesus talking now. Uh, he says... If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile. Now, we're going to stop for just a second. Because when you just read that and just kind of look at it, uh, and this whole verse, if you really don't know the context behind what Jesus is talking about, it'll go over your head. Uh, it went over my head until I, until I learned this fact. I kind of missed what Jesus was saying here. Roman law allowed for this at this time. It was a Roman law that um, a, a Roman soldier could demand by law for anyone to um, carry their gear for a mile. Um, when the Romans would take over a, uh, a culture and a people, they would dominate that culture. They, the conquered nation, they would rule it, and the Romans really thought very, very, very much so, that they were better than that culture. They were more important. And so their law would allow for soldiers to force any citizen in a conquered nation to carry this gear 
for a Roman mile. Now, you may think, what's a Roman mile? Roman mile is a little bit shorter than what we think of as a mile. Our mile is, what, 5,280 feet? A Roman mile was just a little over 4,800 feet, but still a pretty good distance. I mean, didn't have to walk that extra few hundred feet. But you could, uh, the Roman soldier could force any conquered citizen to carry their gear for a mile. And a soldier's pack typically would be well over a hundred pounds. And in fact, the story of Jesus's crucifixion, where we find out that there was somebody pulled from the crowd that was made to carry Jesus's cross, that was a law. When that Roman soldier said, carry his cross, they had to do it. It was non-negotiable. It was an obligation as a conquered citizen to carry that uh, cross for at least a Roman mile. No different than uh, when, when you come to a stop sign, you have to stop. Why? Because it's the law. It was the same way um, in, in this context that Jesus is talking about. Now, the Jewish people, and this is also important, the Jewish people absolutely, positively hated the Romans, and especially the Roman soldiers. I mean, you can go back historically and, and, and read some of the primary accounts and some of the things that happened after Jesus' ascension. Uh, the Jews and the Romans did not get along very well. They hated the Romans. In fact, for really good reason. I mean, I'm not, they had very good reason to hate them. They were conquered people. The Romans treated them like second-class citizens. They had very good reason to hate them, but they hated the Romans, the Roman soldiers. And one of the goals of the Jewish community at the time, or the people that Jesus was talking to in this scripture, was to remind the Romans, hey, you're not better than me. You may think you're better than me. You may treat me as a second-class citizen, but get this fact through your head. You are not better than me. We are just as good as you are. And that was a Jewish goal. And here Jesus is flipping the script a little bit. His goal is to say, okay, they're not better than you, but you should treat them as if they're better than you. The scripture is going to be on the verse. We're going to continue that scripture. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile or a Roman mile, Jesus says, carry it two miles. Take it further. Don't just stop at the obligation that you have. The law says carry it one. You take it further. You treat these people as if they are better than you. Not just nice people. All people even your enemies, even these people that you absolutely detest, they say one mile. You've got to do that. Jesus is saying, hey, that's a done deal, baby. You don't have a choice. You're going to carry it a mile or else you've got bigger problems to worry about. Jesus says, don't just take it a mile, take it two miles. Because when we do that, it makes us more like Jesus. And you say, okay, how in the world does that affect today? How does that affect um, 2019 Stuttgart Harvest Church from being able to accomplish the vision that God has given us? Well, very simply, if I treat people just enough, nice enough to, you know, kind of get by, if I treat them just good enough, eh, not a big deal. But if I take it the second mile, if I treat those people with intrinsic value that, you know what, you may not be better than me, but dadgummit, I'm going to treat you like you're better than me. If we do that, then we have now created a relationship. We have now made an impact that's going to possibly allow us over time to see that person 
be brought closer to Jesus. Yeah. So the first mile that they had to walk with that Roman gear, <clears throat> that was an obligation. Literally, they were obligated to do it. But the second mile that Jesus was then saying, you must walk, that became an opportunity. It was an opportunity to show, and they were not commanded to walk that mile like, I got a second one to go. They were commanded to engage because it was an opportunity, an opportunity to show that the power of God is changing us. It was not normal for someone to go the second mile. You've heard that phrase, right? Go the extra mile. That's exactly where it came from. It came from Jesus. They, that was not normal. So it was, it was showing that Jesus really is changing me. God really is at work. See, this whole thing about winning the hearts of people, God winning the hearts of his creation, it really happens one by one by one. One life on one life. One life walking with one life. It happens through many simple acts of radical service. And it turns, it runs contrary to their expectations. It turns into a conversation. But you know, for me, for many of us, often we just kind of quit too quickly. We just want to get by with the least amount of work that we can do. Well, one mile. One mile. I'll get, Good I'll thing give we them, don't have to take it the full 5,200. Yeah, I'll no. give them one English mile, you know. Yeah. I'll, I'll give them a little bit extra. Yeah. We, we try to cut it off too quickly, and, and we stop. We quit after we meet the obligation, or maybe we do just a little bit more. Because that's the easy path. You smile when you did it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give them a smile. But change is happening in us as we keep going, as we keep working. And change is a possibility for them if we will do what is beyond expected beyond what they expect, what is normal for our culture, which is just to do, just to meet the obligation, no more. It was their witness, that, that Jewish person, it was their witness to the Roman soldier that Jesus really has. The Jesus that y'all put on the cross, well, really it was our sins, but that the Romans crucified that Jesus that came down off the cross and went into the tomb, he has walked out of that tomb alive. He is alive today, and he is changing my life. That was their witness. And the second mile gave them the opportunity for conversations that would not have been effective in the first mile. Because the first mile was an obligation, but when that second mile came, they were not expecting their pack to be carried a second mile. That didn't happen. When the second mile came, that is proof that God is changing me. And if God can change me, then God can absolutely change anyone. Well, that second mile, the first mile a relationship was had because they had to have they a relationship. Forced. They were forced into that. But the second mile, that's where they had the opportunity to advance that relationship. Yeah, that's a great point. Because at that point, it was a choice. 
you know, and they could advance, the, the Jewish person could advance the relationship with that Roman soldier. And that brings us to today. The band is making their way up right now, and I just want to wrap it up with this. We want to send you home this morning with this week's Christmas Dare. Our Christmas Dare is simply this. Will you this week be willing to practice the awe factor? Will you find a way to go the second mile with everyone in your life that you come into contact with this week? Will you walk the second mile with them? And when you have done that, then you have earned the right, you have advanced that relationship, you've earned the right to have a more important conversation. And we're asking you this, will you take one of our invite cards and will you go the second mile with someone and then... After you've gone the second mile, after you have treated them with the awe factor, after you have treated them the way Paul was, was telling us and exhorting us and the way Jesus said, go the extra mile, will you then just simply invite them to sit beside you at Stuttgart Harvest Church? Use an invite card. We've got two of them out there. One says, God doesn't care. And what it really says is, God doesn't care what you wear. He doesn't care. At Stuttgart Harvest Church, we have a very simple dress code. Please do. <laughs> Just throw something on. That's all we require. Something. And then the second card is just lighthearted, but it gives you an opportunity to place something in their hand and to simply say this, you are invited. And if you'll let me know that you're coming, just shoot me a text. I'll meet you in the parking lot and I'll walk in with you. Will you this week... Do exactly what Jesus commanded, exactly what Paul exhorted as he was inspired by God to write that down. Will you begin to treat the people around you, everybody, all people, with the awe factor? I hope you'll do that this week. I hope you will. Join me as we pray. Jesus, there is no example in all of your creation that exceeds your example of living a humble life. God, you came here to your creation to live among us. God, you chose to be born into this world as a helpless baby. You became, God, a humble man. God, you humbled yourself to save your creation. And how can I do anything, God, but run to you and humble myself before you and ask you, God, to take control of my life? How can I do anything, God, but follow your example? How can I do anything but run to you? Your amazing grace, your amazing love, Run to you, God, and worship you. And God, right now, I'm going to worship you. I'm going to worship you, Jesus, with my friends and my family at Stuttgart Harvest Church right now. Amen.